This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. smile in my voice and it's not just because I was so grateful and, and appreciative of all of the blessings that I have but I'm really smiling because the woman I am about to introduce to you has just been such a dynamic influence in black New York <laughs> and, and in my personal life uh, the lives of my children uh, she is an institution and she is the founder of an institution she is Fela Barcliff or as we call her Mama Fela uh, she has been a passionate and lifelong advocate for younger children of color and their families for decades uh, she made her vision and intention to make a real difference in the world by creating the early childhood community institution known as Little Sun People uh, she named it Little Sun People because she wanted wanted the world to know that this place was specifically designed with an intentional focus and an emphasis on the history, the cultures, and the ways of the children and families whose skin has been so beautifully kissed and browned by the sun. Opening her doors in 1981, uh, this institution continues to shape generations uh, in Bedford-Stuyvesant historic black communities, and I absolutely adore her. I'm going to be unabashed about that because we should give our folks their flowers while they are here to receive them and uh it's no secret uh we all love mama fela so mama fela barcliff it is such a pleasure to have you here with us today thank you for being here thank you so much for having me i i feel quite honored and privileged to be a part of your community larry Mama Fela, the, the honor and the privilege is mine. It's not often that you get to walk into places that were intentionally designed for you. And I remember when I first learned about Little Sun People and I thought, well, that can't be true. It's a black education institution that's independent and thriving and amazing. And it's, well, how could that possibly be true? Because Mama Fela... I hadn't seen it before. I hadn't seen independent black-owned education institutions for a two-year-old, well, really almost 18-month-olds through uh, five, age four uh, or five, and I had not seen it thriving in a way that you were able to do it. Talk with us about why it is you created this institution now, almost 40 years before. Talk to us about why it was so important for you to create something that still to this day, most of us have never really seen. Well, it's actually 42 years Larry. oh snap <laughs> did i just i think i lost two years in the pandemic mama fela <laughs> we all did but i um i went my educational experience was so horrific and sad mm. you know uh i you know i fortunately i was one of those children who you know i think it was the ancestors that just said you know, we're going to save you. <laughs> wow. You know, we're going to expose you to the library. And then we're going to give you this inherent curiosity mm. to find out, to know. So I found out how to read, taught myself by the time I was five. Wow. I used my grandma's Bible I because she couldn't read. And I saw how important reading was, mm. how, she, how much she was urged and urgent about people reading to her and telling her what was in letters and what was in words. And so I was watching and I'm like, well, you know what? There must be a power here. I want it. And I got in that Bible and I started decoding. Found, I taught myself. And then when I went to 
elementary school here in Brooklyn, terrible schools for black children like myself. Mm. I felt completely invisible from the very beginning. And this went all the way through to college for me because I was a shy child. Like a lot of the children were acting out in ways. So they were always in trouble. They got a lot of, you know, like pushback and punishment. For me, I was forgotten. Mm. It was like I wasn't there. So my school experience was horrible. In addition to that, the only time I heard anything about Black people was in, I think it was in seventh grade. And it was a page, two pages in my social studies book about slavery and how happy the slaves were. Mm. And the only other thing I saw about Black people was we used to go to the movies you could go to the movies and see all the Tarzan you wanted to see, all the King Kong you wanted to see. But other than that, all the black people getting shot, killed, and eating each other out of pots. It was horrific. I don't know how I made it through all of that, but somehow or other I did. And when I did hear Malcolm X when I was 11, I mean, I was alive when he was alive. And I heard him on television. I never met him in person. And he talked to me personally. I could cry right now. That's how Mm. it was like a light bulb that just went off in my head. Because I was like, oh, so this is who I possibly could be? You know, I had only known about being a Negro, about being a slave, about being a cannibal, about being heathen and pagan and you name it. One horrible story after another. So I was ashamed of myself and who I was, hated my skin color, couldn't stand my hair. So, but when I heard him speak that time, I started watching for him because there was a point at which he was being, they were so terrified of him that he was always on television. (laughs) Like you can find him on the news. You can find him talking to people everywhere. I was too young to go by myself to see him. But I did hear him talk as often as I could before he was assassinated. And I just learned that, oh, I come from a great people. Mm. And there's something for me to be proud of. Well, I never saw it. It wasn't there. It wasn't in books. It wasn't in movies. It wasn't in newspaper. It wasn't anywhere. It wasn't in the church Mm. that I was a part of. (laughs) Nowhere. So I was like, okay, well, I've got to find a way to create this. First, I got to create it for me. And that's when I started looking. That's when I found Uhuru Sasa. I found G2. I found the East. I was 19 years old, 18. And I was like, oh my God, the world, here it is. This is us. You know, it was so exciting. And out of that experience, G2 believing in me, saying to me, you, you can teach. Because who knew? Mm. I mean, I was smart, but I didn't know I could teach. And then it just, I just took, took it from there. And then when I became a parent, I'm looking for a school for my child. I'm like, oh my God, there's nothing out here. I went every, I, I went to like 10 or 12 different daycare centers. Mm. All I was looking for was like one picture of a brown face. Wow. One storybook that wasn't derogatory to black skinned people like her. Hmm. not a one nothing but disney princesses mickey mouses white 
everything. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to take a job somewhere where I'm out there working and my child's being destroyed. Mm. So that's why I decided, let me, you know, my ex, my husband and I had just purchased a brownstone in Bedstock. $40,000 for a four-story brownstone. Oh my God. Yes, in 1978. <laughs> I believe this was before, you know, gentrification. But anyway, I had a floor that was empty, you know, and I was like, I'm going to put, let me start my little program here. So at least I can help my daughter and other children like her until she's ready for um, kindergarten. Now, Mama, now I had what about Hadn't thought about kindergarten, but I at least thought about those preschool years, those foundations. Like we'll figure out kindergarten when we get to it. Right now, she's two and needs to be in a safe space. Now, Mama Fela, you mentioned you mentioned a number of names. Uh, you mentioned G Two Ayusi. You mentioned Uhuru Sasa, the East. And for those of you who are not familiar with those names, there's actually a really powerful documentary right now out on the East, uh, which was a, a cultural movement. Mama Fela, you could explain this way better than I, but just for time's sake, a dynamic cultural uh, African-centered movement uh, that took place over a decade, almost two decades long, where independent free black schools or independent black schools were created. Uh, they were staffed, people were trained, the children were flourishing. And I know, and, and colleagues with, and friends and family with many of the graduates of these schools, uh, I know the daughter that you were planning that center for, and I still can't believe it's 42 years old because that really just dated me really accurately. Uh, <laughs> but these were all really the, the products of black people who were coming together unapologetically centering our needs in planning, in policy, in organizing without asking for permission. So Mama Fela, when you opened up that first that first space in your home, what when you were thinking about how you were going to create curriculum, when you were thinking about how you were going to create a daily structure, because we have a lot of people in the audience right now who are like, well, I need to create a school. I need to do something. I got to do something because or I'm homeschooling or I'm trying to connect with other people. There are so many folks out there, particularly after the pandemic, who recognize that what is happening in our schools is fundamentally absolutely wrong. And you've heard me say before, our Jewish brothers and sisters would not allow or permit Nazi-minded folk to educate their children. And yet literally every single day we are sending black children into these spaces where they are being uh, educated by folks who see them in that way. Talk with us about the, the journey that you, you went through, the, the challenges that you experienced. And then at, after that, I want to pick up some, some discussion about the role of black parents in fighting for their children. Well, I think that my experience at Uhuru Sasa gave me the courage and also the belief in myself. And that was I one had, of those black schools that Uhuru Sasa is one of the, yes. Sasa, okay. Freedom Now School, yes. That was the school created by G2 Wayusi and he wasn't the only one. It was a group of us right. together who created this, this, this school and and, and, and all those businesses that, you know, like collaborated with the school, it was like a little village, you know, so many people coming up with these amazing ideas for things that they could do and having the entre entre entrepreneurial spirit to do it. And also the encouragement and support within ourselves. It's like we didn't, it's like you said, we weren't asking for permission. It's like, oh, I want to create you know, this amazing 
health food restaurant and I believe I can do it. And there's people who were like, yes, you can. And we will back you, we will back your effort. You don't, you, maybe you won't start off with a million dollar investment, but here we get this place. We all come together. It was like, it was like how we used to do it in Africa before, you know, like the whole village comes out, paints it, fixes it up, puts up the shelves, everybody bring their skill. And the next thing you know, you have your thing and then you open up and you're doing it. And that's what we did with the school, Uhuru Sasa. Um, Brother G2 looked around for those of us who he thought could be the teachers. And he's like, you, we're 19, 20 year old kids. Like me, you know, you got the glow. Because, but I said, but I know I said to him when he talked to me about it, I was like, but you know, I'm in college, but I didn't get training to become a teacher. Like, how could I do this? I, I, it wouldn't be fair to the kids. And he's like, but that training that they're giving you in school is not for our kids. Wow. He says, we're going to get our training from our people. So wow. he brought in trainers, African-centered, Pan-Africanist nationalists, mm. leaders, thinkers, wise, you know, people filled with wisdom. You know, I think about um, Herman Ferguson and Connie Hicks, for instance, they were my part of my teachers, um, my teacher cadre. And we would meet with them every week to talk about, you know, how do you, how do you um, impart like a revolutionary information and thinking into these young minds who are being embattled in mm. this, you know, very racist and unbelievably unyielding system. Right. So they helped us to, you know, turn our perspective so that we felt empowered to be able to pass on information about who we are, our cultures, our people, our history in, in a positive light that our children deserve. Mm. And, uh, you know, we had people teaching us about, you know, people who had studied with, say, Theophil Obinga, or people who had been on the continent for long periods of time who would come and be part of our teacher training cadre. Hmm. You know, we, we had a martial arts teacher who was Malcolm X's bodyguard, Brother Bo. You know, like we had these, we had, um, um, Imari, Imari, Baraka's, um, the spirit house group that he, uh, organized here. Uh, there was two people from that group that came to work with us on art and cultural, you know, um, uh, uh referencing for our students. Like it, like everything was from this very powerful Pan-Africanist black lens. Mm. It was unbelievable. So I learned that, yeah, I don't have to be approved and checkmarked because believe me, I went to Bank Street. I graduated from Bank Street. Where I got my information about what I need to do here mm. was from there. Come Uhuru on. Sasa Come and on. All of those that Bank Street, yeah, it legitimized me in some people's eyes, but it's not the information, knowledge, and um, the important perspectives that I need to, to, to transmit, pass on to my teachers as well as my students. So yeah, that's where I believe I got my 
foundational legs. One a lesson, I'll give you an example of a lesson that I gave to my kids. I had I had girls who were like 11 to 13. So one day we were going to learn something about ourselves and our people. James Brown was appearing at the Apollo. So our lesson for the day was to go to the Apollo and listen to and sing along with James Brown in the center of Harlem. Mm. And so while we were going through Harlem, we got a chance to look at our people, to see what we've created, who we were, because Harlem was very different at that time. And also one of our greatest artists, you know, our children, like it was an unbelievable experience that they never forgot. And even now, sometimes when I meet one of them, do you remember when you took us to see James Brown at the Apollo? So, and Mama Fela, what we what we have now is 42 years of receipts. Year after year, the school uh, uh, takes in 18 uh, month old to to four year. You got to correct me on that because I know my oldest came in. But Mama Fela, it's working. You have now decades of graduates from this institution who benefited from you receiving an African-centered education. The children who graduate from Little Sun People, they are considered the cream of the crop. They have their pick of which schools to go to. The, the private elementary schools come to Little Sun People. The, oftentimes, you know, the parents are supposed to go out to the private schools. They, they will send representatives. The public schools will let people know, listen, we have, you know, come check out our school because everyone knows that once a child has navigated through this African centered curriculum at Little Sun People today they are going to enter kindergarten with reading skills I remember walking in and seeing my third my uh, three and a half almost four year old doing basic addition and subtraction on the board and the other children and, and it wasn't that my child was a special child I mean my child is special but they weren't special the whole class was doing addition and subtraction in the three and four year old groups and they were learning things that they would not if it were left to the traditional education Western traditional education, they would not even be thinking about approaching some of those topics until much later in their education. So you have, you are a living, breathing example of what the kids call receipts. And I need people to know that because a lot of times when we hear phrases like African-centered education, Pan-Africanist, going to Harlem, we all automatically think, oh, well, of course the black was going to Harlem to see James Brown because even what, they, they, they ain't reading, they ain't writing, they ain't doing no arithmetic. And Mama Fela, I am I'm here as a personal testament to say, no, 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 no. Our children explore the arts. They go see Alvin Ailey. They go see all these phenomenal arts because that is art is a part of who they are. And they can count all the trains on the way there. They can addition, they can use addition and subtraction in order to figure out how they go, how many steps you got to go. And so there is this real fusing of interdisciplinary learning that I think is absolutely beautiful. But I, I want to hone in really briefly. And, and Mama Fela, I'm going to ask you if I can, do, do you have a, do you have to leave in the next five minutes? Because I, I, there, there's extra questions I had that are going to take us over to the commercial break. Can you stick around for a few minutes? I can stick around for a few minutes. Y'all, sure. y'all know I don't like to do that to people on air because they feel pressured. And I, I know. I got, I'm sorry, but I got to do it. <laughs> but Mama Fela, no. there was... Thank you that I'm very long with it. If I get started on an answer, I'm like, because there's so much. <laughs> no, and I love it. I love it. But I remember at one meeting when we were preparing for our first child to graduate from the school and we had a parent meeting because there's an active parent body. There's a phenomenal board. Uh, this is a black woman led organization with a, a, a woman of color led board. It is a phenomenal space. And I remember there was a parent meeting where we were basically being prepared for what it was going to mean to transition from this beautiful small little universe 
of little sun people, and we were going to have to leave this universe and go off into the big bad world of public school. And I will never forget uh, that you and a number of the instructors at that meeting told us, listen, you have black children who have been prepared academically in ways that even peers within the black community have not. You are going to have, when your child goes to kindergarten next year, you go into kindergarten. When your child has to go to first grade, you go into first grade. When your child goes to college, you going back to college. And you really drilled down into us the importance of parent activism and engagement in advancing uh, our children's education and fighting for them and advocating for them. And even with all of that preparation, none of us realized just how diametrically opposed the public schools were going to be as compared to what we had all been living in and enjoying for the three years of preschool. Can you, and we're only going to be able to begin this portion of the, of the answer because we only have a few minutes before we get cut off by the commercials, but can you begin to talk with us about why it is so important for black parents and parents who are raising black children to be firmly rooted in that understanding that we have to go to school, uh, you know, I'm putting that in air quotes, with our children every single step of the way. Ooh, that is a question that needs a book. Mm. But I'll, I'll start with just like, um, first of all, I love black parents. So that is a really important um, peace. I love black people and that includes black parents and I respect black parents and feel like black parents are critical for their child's good, strong, powerful development. Mm. And, and, and a lot of our parents, all of us have been, our melanated people here have been, we have been slayed down by racism yeah. where we don't feel empowered where we turn over our power to other people, where we feel like, well, maybe we don't have the right answers. Maybe we don't know as much as we should. Maybe we aren't as good as we're supposed to be. So we've all been taught to listen to the quote unquote authorities instead of putting our voice out there. Wow. One of the things that I noticed about white parents is that they're always in the midst. Mm. They never shut up. They're on everybody's back. You so much as look at their child the wrong way. They have grandma and everybody else up there. You looked at my child the wrong way and I want that principal fired. Whereas our children, our families will let these people talk to us any kind of way and mm. believe all kinds of horrible things about our children and go along with a program that's not designed for us and not really speak up. I mean, we're getting better here, but this is 400 years of training right. that we've been under the impact of. Right. So therefore it's been a challenge for us to speak our minds and say, no, you're wrong. My child is not going into special ed. No, what's your, your quote unquote diagnosis. I don't believe it and I don't accept it. And I want 10 other um, second opinions and third opinions. You know, I'm gonna, I wanna speak on behalf of my child at every instance because that's what we have to do, but we've been trained not to. Right. So therefore, I try my best to encourage my parents to let them know their voice is so important to remind them because the system is reminding us all the time of our silence, That's right. of our quietness, of our let us handle it because we know what's best. Hmm. And it's like you said at the very beginning of this, this system clearly has never known what was best for us. Right. Not 400 years ago, not today. So, and, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go I, ahead. I, 
so I, my encouragement to our parents is always your voice is critical in your child's life here in pre-K, elementary, middle school, right all the way up through the time that they, even when they become parents, they Come need on, us. Yeah. You know, so they do. Yeah. They really do. So we we're going to head into a commercial break on the other side of it. I want to pick up our conversation and talk about some of the challenges that you face, because it has not been all red, black and green rainbows. Right. There have been some challenging times. There have been uh, some, you know, there's been some difficulties. And, and, and we have to talk about that, too, because, again, there are so many people who want to do this work, but they need guidance on how to do it. You're listening to Lorie Daniel Favors in conversation with Mama Fela Barcliffe of Little Sun People. She has allowed me to steal some more of her time even though they have a rehearsal that's about to happen another thing i love about that institution is the artistic performances you have parents standing up in the seats cheering and clapping uh, it's a beautiful thing so uh, we know you got to get to the babies uh, but mama fela can you give us just a little bit of a glimpse into some of the challenges you have faced over the years and how you have needed the community to show up for you and i want to conclude by talking about how this community is going to be able to have an opportunity to show up for you as well go right ahead well, Lurie, the biggest challenge, like this challenge that I face as an individual is that I face racism every day. Mm -hmm. And this melanated skin, there's no way to avoid it. It's like every day in multiple ways. And it's in little and big ways, as you know. So just like I as an individual, this organization is a very melanated organization. Yes. So for years, people said things like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. It's not diversity. It's not inclusive. Right. <laughs> like, Your black institution I, isn't diverse I, or inclusive. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't have white dolls and wow. we didn't have, you know, classical music here. We, we were playing um, African, you know, world music and, you know, rhythm and, you know, we were, we were playing music from our experience and, People would people would come in and see all these this art and paintings and pictures and sculptures and what is it is this place for Africans <laughs> like all the melanated faces in here I mean it, there's some relationship to Africa you would imagine so anyway yes it has been um, we have had to face uh, incredible racism over all of our years of existence. Mm. And even when people give lip service, like after George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were killed, we got all kinds of people like, oh, we wanna help, we wanna do this, we wanna do that. So we would get like $1,000 from some white organization, you know, or, you know, people giving us like $5,000 and making themselves feel better. Mm. After 42 years of being under-resourced, I mean, we are just so grateful to our community and our parents because that's, and in addition to my, our resilience, because we have that, we have tons of it because right. we would have been closed outdoors if it wasn't for that. But we, you know, we know how to make lemonade when we got just lemons that's right. and we know how to make something out of nothing. You know, our grandmothers used to say, listen, you take that and you make something out of it. And that's what we do. That's so. Right. Even and then we have our community that has just put their arms around us and kept us strong. And like when 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 the, when the system comes down on us, our community will come there and and stand by our side, and not like say it's your fault. You mm -hmm. should have did it. Why didn't you do? It? But no, what can we do to help? 
Right. So our right. community of black and brown people have been there for us over all of these 41, 42 years. And I and, and it makes my heart sing just to think about it. It hasn't been easy because just like it's not easy for us, it's not easy for them either. Right. We're all struggling out here. Right. But our community just kept us up and strong. The system, we have to battle every single day in every way. This is a terrible story. We have three Department of Education classes here. Wow. We have been, so, so they came out with universal pre-K. Oh, you're going to be so, we got you. We, we, you don't have to worry about a thing. From now on, parity for your teachers. We're going to take care of this situation. So here we are in January, February, March. We have not gotten paid from the DOE this year. The New York City <laughs> Department of Education, the largest education institution in the country. Exactly. So, exactly. so somehow we have eked out an existence until as we go through hoops, obstacle courses, mountain climbing to get to that funding that's hidden up there, gatekeeped by, we don't even know who. Huh. It is unbelievable. And so we're the, but not- this, just, just to be clear, this is money that you are owed because you are providing a service for the DOE. The DOE yes. expanded, the Department of yes. Education expanded universal pre-K. You have a yes. thriving pre-K. It makes perfect sense that they would want to partner with you. But don't the school year start in September? It does. September, October, <laughs> November, December, January, February, March, and Women's History Month, we ain't got the money for the black women-led institution that's leading the babies? Hello. Hello. Well, now. well now. now. Now I'm upset. And you, this mm. morning I woke up hollering because I'm just like, I'm at the end of my rope with this. But anyway, I want to say that um, we are launching a, a Women's History Fundraiser and uh, one of my board members, amazing Cara um, Ben Smith, is going to come on at some point, hopefully, to talk more about this. Yes, she's one and of my favorite that, people in the world. So yes, <laughs> amazing black woman. Yes. Um, so uh, we're we're launching a fundraiser because we we also have a new space. We're going to be moving soon, and our space is coming together. I don't know how we're doing all of this. I really don't know how. We, it's the ancestors. Mm. <laughs> we, we, the ancestors are just like, don't, we got you. We wow. got you. You're going to get there. Don't, you, you made it 42 years and you're going to do at least 42 more. So mm. don't worry. Just keep going. I love keep it. going. So I love it. We're, 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 we just keep going. So for people who are interested in finding out about Little Sun People and the fundraiser, you can go to littlesunpeople.com where you will see some of the most beautiful images of black children in real time doing real work. Uh, but you can literally go to littlesunpeople.com. At the very top of the page, you have the opportunity to donate to this institution uh, because it needs it. Darn it. <laughs> we, bring, we bring people on all the time who are doing a variety of, of causes and efforts. They have books. They have products. This is a, a product, if you will. I'm putting that in air quotes. Educating our children is one of the most dynamic products we can invest in. So for those of you, and yes, I, I've already told y'all my bias. My children are not at the school now. They have since graduated. 
Uh, and I was very sad about that because I, I kept dreaming that y'all would have a kindergarten and then a first grade just in time for us to get it. Uh, but you have the ability to support independent Black-owned institutions right now. You can go to littlesunpeople.com. Uh, at the top of the website, there's a donation link. I believe I see you guys are, you have 55 days to go in this fundraiser. Uh, only 40 donors so far. So we need to, come on, Brooklyn. Come on, New York City. Come on, America. Let's make sure we put our efforts where we can and support the institutions that are here. This is a 42-year-old institution that is doing the work of producing generations of black people um, who are going to change the world, who are literally changing the world right now. Uh, Mama Fela, you are also the recent awardee of the David Prize, which I mentioned in the very, very beginning was one of the most uh, phenomenal honors. Uh, here in the state of New York, only five people are awarded this, uh, this prize uh, uh, during their, their uh, award season, and you were one of the people who were highlighted and honored, and which was so phenomenal. And every one of us who were able to cheer were cheering and very excited about it, so we know the work you're doing is it matters. It is making a difference. Um, and I am just so glad that we have living examples of folks who, like you, were touched in your youth by folks like Malcolm X uh, and who were able to connect with folks like uh, educating black educators like G2AUC and, and all the folks who are part of the Uhuru Sasa and the East and all of that work is still producing benefit. And I am honored that I can do my teeny tiny little part of just highlighting some of the black excellence that is living and breathing around us. It has been such a pleasure having you. I see that you, you got the babies who I can tell are coming to, come on, Mama Fela, it's time for our rehearsal. Uh, so thank you so much for being here with us today. I absolutely love and adore you and all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure.